This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Did you know that uh, apparently about two-thirds of the money spent for advertising in this presidential run has been donated through what is called dark money, nonprofit groups who don't have to reveal who their donors are or disclose their expenditures? It's a growing concern of the political fundraising realm, but it is one that might change if a new rule from the SEC pushes through. The rule would have public companies reporting their political donations both to whom and how much. To take a look at uh, the effect of dark money and this possible rule change, we're joined here in the studio by Jill Fish, who is the Perry Gulkin Professor of Law here at the University of Pennsylvania, also co-director of the Institute for Law and Economics. Also again with us in studio, our friend Eric Ortz, who you heard from earlier in the show, Guardsmark Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at Wharton, also faculty director of the Initiative for Global Environmental Leadership. Jill, nice to meet you. Great to have you here. Thanks for uh, having me. Uh Dark money, how did we get to the point where this term kind of has come into the vernacular of a lot of people and and obviously a lot of the media members, Jill? Well, I think the term dark money uh, came into such widespread use because it sounds sinister. (laughs) (laughs) And anything around politics usually has some sinister element to it. Well, exactly. I mean, using the term dark money suggests that there's something um, hidden, that there's something, uh, some amount of wrongdoing. The issue of uh, money in politics and corporate money in politics has been around for a really long time. Uh, This is nothing new. And in fact, uh, everybody talks a lot about the impact of the Citizens United decision. Um, But corporations spent huge amounts of money in politics before Citizens United. Citizens United just opened one additional door. But corporations spend money on lobbying. They spend money uh, working with staffers actually to draft legislation. They donate money through PACs. They they donate money... um, I wrote an article on corporate political spending about 15 years ago in which I talked about the fact uh, FedEx bought the naming rights to FedEx Fields in Washington. Sure, yeah. Arguably, that's a political expenditure, right? You've got oh, FedEx, uh, Tennessee company. Why are they buying naming rights in Washington? Because so all those politicians <laughs> have tickets to the games. Exactly right. Exactly. So, you know, so so we talk about, you know, um, uh, political expenditures like it's something new. And you know, we talk about the statistics in this election. It's always been on the table. It's always been a big fact of life. And the reason for that is that politics is really important to business. Yet seemingly that that Citizens United case before the Supreme Court is linked a lot to this, whether there's a, you know, an absolute impact. And as you mentioned, it kind of opened another door in this process. But that, that Citizens United case is always seemingly now linked with this. Yeah, because, you know, it's a, you know, big high profile event. It got a lot of media attention. And also, I think we see money in politics continuing to grow. So uh, people are concerned about it. But the one thing, Eric, we know is that seemingly as this money has continued to grow in politics, there is obviously a a growing segment of the donors out there that want to get money. But they don't want to know, they don't want people to know who they're giving it to and how much they're giving it to. Right, and that's a big question, but it's uh, it's also true. It's not just corporations, it's other groups too. And so the general question of political disclosure, of disclosure of who's giving money to whom is a, is a large issue. 
And there are two sides of that question. So one side is that we should have disclosure if there's a lot of money that's supporting one candidate or another. It would be helpful to know for the public interest to be able to know who's supporting which candidates, whether they're individuals or uh, or corporations. On the other hand, there's uh, at least the argument, I, I don't think I'm persuaded by it, but there's the argument that you really shouldn't be targeted by pe- for, for who you might support. So right. no one has to disclose who they vote for. That's, a, that's an anonymous right. Yep. And so uh, there's at least the argument out there that we should, you should not have to disclose all members of nonprofit organizations who are contributing to something. So there's even uh, one, one famous case, the NAACP case, where there was an attempt to get everyone to disclose who was giving money to the NAACP. But the reason for that was to then try to target and harass those people who were supporting that organization. So there are uh, two sides of the question, but uh, I think on balance it makes sense to, uh, to have more disclosure for, uh, for what so-called dark money from, corporate, from business corporations. Jill? Well, um, Eric's right. It isn't just business corporations. And one of the things about the focus on SEC rulemaking is that's really tied to corporations, public corporations in particular, Um, whereas the problem, uh, if there is one, of a lack of transparency in the political process extends well beyond public corporations. And it's not clear, even if you support greater disclosure, not clear that SEC rulemaking or SEC mandated disclosure is the best fix because it's only going to get a piece of the overall uh, puzzle. It's not going to be comprehensive. And it's also... SEC regulation is really tied to investors and investment questions, whereas the concerns that Eric addressed about political transparency, right, that goes to the election process. And is the election process distorted by money? Should voters, should citizens understand where the money is behind political ads and so forth? And then I guess the next question is, is the Federal Election Commission, do they have the wherewithal to be able to try and tackle this big of, uh, you know, this type of a topic? Uh, that's a great question. And, um, you know, th- there are obviously limitations as well imposed by the Citizens United case. Yeah. Eric? Yeah, well, the, uh, I think the issue in the Citizens United case is, uh, is a couple – in general, there's a very strong – we should say there's a very strong movement to get the SEC to propose a rule. Right now it's on lockdown because the budget agreement had has explicitly, as I understand it, prevented – the SEC from uh, funding this to move forward until September, but there are hearings on the Hill. There, there's a very strong. Uh, there, there were three former SEC commissioners uh, signed a memo and said we really should. We really think that you should follow Citizens United. Even the majority opinion right. in Citizens United was in favor of political of disclosures. They were not in favor of some of the other substantive limitations, but uh, disclosures they really had no problem with under the First Amendment analysis that they that, that they gave there, even in the majority case. But the the question I think in in the public corporation context is that you're using money that arguably isn't the company's, isn't the manager's money to decide what political agenda to support. So you would want, in theory at least, you would want, if you are going to spend money on politics, then it should be for the best interest of a corporation and the shareholders uh, of a corporation and maybe others also. But the question is, well, wait a second, if I'm a shareholder and I don't even know, to just go back to our previous conversation uh, today, I'm a shareholder of ExxonMobil, and 
let's say ExxonMobil is not disclosing who they give their money to, then how do I really? You know, then I feel that I might my rights might 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 be violated if I'm a yeah. shareholder of the company. And so that's the argument: is that you want some sort of disclosure. It's not fair that you might have uh, you might have executives also uh, making their own political determinations that, in fact, they are not checked. If no one knows what they're doing and they're not checked by anyone, then they could be giving money just in their own personal uh, preferences. But as Joe points out, there are, a couple, uh, there are a couple of caveats here. One is you're only talking about public corporations. You're not talking yeah. about many very large private enterprises that are not going to be subject to that. Sure. An unintended consequence of increasing regulation of public corporations is that you might include, you know, encourage more of them to say, well, I don't want to disclose that, so I'll go, prob I'll go private. private. Yeah. And uh, I think there's some public policy questions about whether you want to encourage that sort of thing. And not only, and also uh, the, some of the highest, well, the highest paid people in companies are the CEOs, and none of this goes to what they, <laughs> own, what they personally will decide to do in terms of supporting one candidate or another. So, so there is an under-inclusive under aspect of this. But it's still true that there's a very large uh, political uh, – uh, I think they had uh, – I think the SEC got a, a memo or a petition of 1.2 million people apparently. Now, I don't know how they got that number, but uh, <laughs> who uh, – but the SEC commissioners who had petitioned for this uh, – former the former SEC commissioners who are petitioning for a rule on this had uh, said that was the most people that you've ever had for this. So there is an argument that we should have some sort of a disclosure. The other thing, I, just to put on the table, is that when partly it's because it's a Wharton School initiative, is the Zicklin Center is uh, together with the Corporate Accountability Group. I'm I'm, I'm forgetting their name. Uh, has an, an annual report of companies that voluntarily decide to disclose their political contributions. And that mm -hmm. that could include lobbying and a lot of the other activities that Jill's indicating. And you can make a good argument that it's the right thing to do ethically, that if you're gonna if you're gonna be involved in the political process, why not tell everybody what you're doing and and uh, and be and be disclosing about that. Now there are arguments on the other side. If you don't want anyone to know what you're doing or who you're supporting, then uh, then you would rather uh, then you'd rather keep it secret. But just like you said and uh, before, it, you know, it goes back to the old uh, the old line. And I remember my parents telling me this is like when I first started voting, you know, when I got to that age, my parents were like don't don't tell don't tell people who you voted for. You know, always keep it a secret. So in some respects, you know, you're playing against uh, a little bit of tradition in this, in, not to say that this tradition is good, but you're playing against tradition in this case. Yeah, um, let me just play devil's advocate for a minute and um, sort of fill out the picture on a couple of the points that Eric made. First of all, Eric said, well, it's the investors have the right to know because it's really the investors' money. Technically, it's really the corporation's money, not the investor's money. And yeah. part of buying stock in a corporation means you delegate to the executives decisions about how to spend that money. Now, right. there's a constraint. The executives have to spend that money in the best interests of the corporation. Sure. So if an executive spends corporate money to further his or her own political preferences, that's stealing. That's self-dealing. They're not right. allowed to do that. And there are existing limits in corporate law that prevent executives from doing that, from spending that money selfishly. But corporate uh, money is spent in politics 
for the most part, if not entirely, because corporations believe it furthers their interests, sure. corporate interests, yeah. to spend money on politics. And shareholders don't get to micromanage those business decisions, right? It's the same as if the corporation spends money on computers or the corporation spends sure. money on staples. You know, it, uh, investors don't get to say, that's too much money, you're dealing with the wrong staples company. Those are delegated business decisions. So if they're delegated business decisions, why exactly do the investors have the right to know? Why exactly did they have the right to question and say, well, gee, my politics are different. I don't like that tax initiative. Right. I don't like that environmental or, law. Or I don't like that candidate, period. Ex ex exactly. Right. So, you know, decisions that are made in good faith on an informed basis, yeah. in the reasonable belief that they're in the best interests of the corporation. Those are yeah. defensible business decisions that executives are entitled to deference on. The dark side of uh, disclosure of political spending is, number one, it is complex, deciding exactly what a corporation is required to disclose. So mm -hmm. drafting a rule like the SEC has been asked to do, it's not trivial. Right? Do you draw the line at donations, at independent political expenditures, yeah. at donations to nonprofits, at donations to business groups, trade associations? The Chamber of Commerce, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, spends 42% of its money on political activity. But the Chamber of Comber Commerce legitimately represents business interests. Sure, yeah. So do you say, well, gee, you've got to disclose your donations to them or the percentage of your donations, and then do you have transparency if the chamber doesn't in turn yeah. disclose all of its political activities? How far are you going to go with this regulation? How much cost are you going to impose? And then what do people do with that information? I'm not sure that investors are the ones who want this information. I think this information is incredibly oh, useful yeah. to political opponents in yeah. the process, right? Tarring and feathering uh, candidates, initiatives, saying, oh, there's big corporate money behind that initiative. Yeah. Well, what does big corporate money mean? Big corporate money means money that may be furthering productivity, that may be uh, furthering jobs growth, right? We've got an issue in this country where we've got a lot of regulation that is limiting business growth. And for any responsible regulator, the regulator has to at least balance the costs and benefits of imposing additional regulation. Well, I think there's a lot of good points, but we have a, maybe a little bit of a debate going on here because let's take the example of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and go back to the previous uh, discussion we had this uh, hour on climate change. And so the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is taking a very aggressive, negative uh, political point of view on, on, uh, on stopping any kind of climate change legislation. Uh, it, uh, it, so one, and a lot of the money that's going – there had been pressure on some companies to actually leave the U.S. Chamber of Commerce at some points. Uh, because of this position. Uh, right now, though, you can't find out who gives how much money to the cha U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And you could say, well, yes, that's uh, it could probably meet the test that Jill indicates of, is it in ExxonMobil's best interest, at least in the short term, to, to keep any climate change legislation from occurring? And it would be in their best interest to not be able to say that they're that they're doing that when we were talking previous hour. They've 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 publicly said we want a tax on carbon, but it doesn't appear that they're actually politically supporting a tax on carbon. What's the reason? Well, probably it's a good business reason, which is that would decrease our uh, our profits over time, yep. and our shareholders aren't going to like it, and and we don't like that uh, that idea either. So I think it's correct to say that. 
it's not just the investors. Now, investors, I, I might beg to differ a little bit on the idea. I had a big debate at Cornell Law School recently about this. Uh, you know, I was in the, apparently on the right wing of uh, saying <laughs> that share, shareholders actually own the company or had an ownership interest, which I still defend. So I would say they do have an interest and in, an ownership interest. And then looking at investors, there are different kinds of investors. And some investors actually do want to know what is a political position that a corporation may be taking or not taking. And it may affect their investment choices, maybe not on a straight, is this for the best interest of the business or not, but from uh, some other kinds of criteria that go into some, some choices of some, uh, of some investors. So, um, but there is a lot of, uh, I, I agree with what Joe is raising here, that there's a lot of complexity to the problem. And I agree also that this is not an easy rule that somehow that's gonna be written. And there are some unintended consequences that we have to start to think about before you really think, you decide that this is the best way to go. So I, my guess is that's what's going to be happening at the SEC commissioner level. They probably are already talking about this. And my guess is, I don't know if you know, what, that there's probably drafts of, of proposed rules floating around. Uh, and we'll see what happens in, uh, in the... I guess when the when the uh, budget agreement is off in September, it would be perfect timing, right? September, <laughs> uh, the election will be coming, and there will be a perfect timing to have hearings about it. Well, <laughs> so. there's there's one more thing to keep in mind. Um, if it's going to be relatively complex to draft an appropriate rule, one other option that's open is to let the uh, demand for disclosure sort itself out through private ordering. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Eric has already said a number of companies voluntarily make political disclosure. Uh, the voluntary disclosure is right. in part due to shareholder requests. If right. the you know shareholders say this is something we're interested in and we're concerned about, they've got voting power. Uh, the corporation can respond. Right. And there have been a number of shareholder proposals introduced to mm -hmm. try to compel either uh, political disclosure or, in some cases, more extensive political disclosure than what the company has already required. Right. If there were overwhelming shareholder support for more political disclosure, you'd expect to see these shareholder proposals pass. Sure, and, in yeah. fact, they don't. There have been you know, over 100 of them introduced every year at lots of major companies, and they don't pass. In fact, they rarely get more than about 25 percent of the votes in favor. And the big institutional investors, those that command the big voting blocks, they're abstaining or in some cases BlackRock, I think its policy is to vote against Disclo political disclosure or compelled yeah. political disclosure. And that's, Vanguard, just a, that's just a corporate philosophy straight across the board. It's it's their view mm -hmm. that this, uh, you know, mandating or uh, compelling the board of directors to decide uh, how much or, or, or to, to make some sort of mandated threshold, a minimum amount of disclosure yeah. is inappropriate. That this is, again, micromanaging the company. That it's up to the board of directors to decide in its business judgment both what to spend and how to disclose those expenditures. There was a there was an article that I read uh, over the weekend that talked about um, the fact that I guess it, during the last presidential election that about three hundred million dollars was spent that that was considered to be dark money. Uh, my question is, off of that three hundred dollars, three hundred million dollars, do we know what? 
kind of impact that money actually had in terms of the election, you know, between between President Obama and, and Mitt Romney? Do we really we have, know? We have, well, you have a counterexample that just occurred in the Republican primary, I think, right? <laughs> well, yeah, a, yeah that's true. That's spent, exactly that right. That went down the drain pretty much. Yeah, so and we'd uh, like so to thank is, the Bush family for that. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to get back to... Uh, uh, the, I, got, I have the right name for the the Zicklin Center initiative. It's the um, it's the it's it's the CPA Zicklin Index, which benchmarks uh, various kinds of political contributions. As uh, as uh, uh, as Jill was indicating, there's uh, there's an, a movement, and I think this is increasing. Actually, more and more companies are voluntarily deciding to disclose their political contributions of some kind. And then yep. one virtue of the private ordering solution that Jill may be suggesting is that you then allow companies themselves to decide what is it, what exactly are you disclosing and you don't have to have a, 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 an onerous regulation about that. But I'd also like to point out that a 25% vote is pretty high, right, for uh, for one of these shareholder resolutions. That will often be the case of you have a shareholder resolution. We were talking about the ExxonMobil and the Chevron climate change in, in the resolution. 30s and 40s. Yeah, if you have a 45 percent vote for climate change reporting, that's going to get the attention of the board, and probably they're going to start to say, "Okay, let's take this off the table and do this." And 25 percent, I'd say, I'd say is pretty high. It's probably enough to get a board uh, board level attention to say, "Why don't we try to take this off the table? And how are we? How can we best disclose our our our?" our um, our political, uh, our political um, contributions. I think that's exactly right. But essentially what you're saying, Eric, is that the private ordering process is working pretty well. If the SEC comes in and tries to draft some kind of rule, sure. it might make things better. It might think, make things worse. You know, one size fits all isn't always the best answer. But, the, but it seems like, though, in this situation that, that it is almost like an, an all or nothing. Uh, that, you know, you either had to have total disclosure of, you know, companies saying, yes, we, you know, you need to come forward and say, these are our donors, this is how much they gave, this is why, or you have nothing at all. Well, again, you may, uh, what you're talking about is the nonprofit coming forward yeah, yeah. and saying, these are our donors. That's yeah. not what the SEC uh, rule proposal is okay. about. Right. The mm -hmm. SEC rule proposal would only target publicly traded corporations, right. right? They would have to disclose the money that they donate within whatever constraints the rule sets up. The nonprofit organizations, the private organizations, the trade groups, they wouldn't be subject to this SEC rule. So to the extent that they receive money from other than publicly traded corporations, including yes. privately held companies, wealthy individuals, other nonprofits, all of that is still going to remain as dark money. Which may, which would basically lead you to believe that maybe we even would see a shift if the SEC did put some sort of rule in play, that we would see a shift even more towards these nonprofit organizations, uh, you know, the money coming in that way. It's, it's still another way to have the dark money come in. Could be the case, yes. We could just add a layer of complexity. Right. Eric? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, one one uh, alternative approach is you would have some sort of legislation, which is impossible right now because it's a basically a political uh, lock. I had thought, actually, when Citizens United was decided, and unfortunately I'm in print saying so, that I thought it would be a great compromise that everybody can agree to disclose uh, what their political contributions uh, are in terms of the, uh, a public corporation. And in fact, both the majority opinion and the dissenting opinion, otherwise very much at each other's throats, they agreed on that point, but that turned out to be completely false, and uh, the one side of the political uh, spectrum doesn't want to have any disclosure whatsoever. But one possibility is that you would have a uh, legislation 
that basically said, you know, we should have disclosure of certain kind for everyone. Mm-hmm. If you're supporting political candidates with money, it's reasonable to think that that should be disclosed so that everybody knows who is supporting whom with how much money. And you could still have voting be secret, and you could still have maybe associations. Uh, you could be belong to various associations without a requirement that everyone uh, disclose who they are if they're a member of an association. But the kind of argument is that money has potentially such a big influence in politics okay, that yeah. people should know who is giving money for to, to whom for, for when, when you have elections. And, of course, the challenge with that is it's very hard to know how influential money is. Exactly, we do yeah. see some very well-funded political campaigns that go absolutely nowhere. We see a lot of organizations and a lot of corporations donating money on both sides so that they have some established relationship with yeah. both parties or both candidates. Um, you know, is money swaying votes? I don't know. When you see all of these TV ads, does it change your vote? Not really. No. I, I you know, it, It's funny because you just, as we were just saying a little bit ago, you think about the Republican side of things. Money didn't do things for a majority of people and not putting money in helped one other person you know I mean, it's it's weird how you know i mean i think in the end people are really will sit back and they will look at, at at what the person says to finally make that decision no matter what a corporation would say or no matter how much money a corporation would put put behind a, can, a candidate i guess i'll get a little bit on the other side of this discussion and say that you know i don't think you know, being a business i don't think people end up buying marketing buying uh the ability to get the word out buying experts who are able to go and get votes out yeah they don't spend that money unless you think you're going to get results so i think you're right that um it's not always going to be the case and so but i would say in general that the trump phenomenon was probably not repeatable uh and and that it still makes sense for and that companies are going to make a judgment that it makes sense to invest in politics, as for the reasons uh, Jill was saying indica- earlier, and that usually it pays off in some way. And that, the other question is, uh, does it make sense to be uh, in a situation that you have privileged access in the way that you're talking about? I mean, the other alternative you can move to is, say, that you ban uh, corporate contributions. We did have a period in American history at one point where you banned contributions and you actually even, this is sacrilege to think of today, you banned lobbying, that it was unethical (laughs) to actually hire these guys to go try to, to, to get a law in your favor. Now, it might take a while before we go back on those kinds of things, but it is possible to imagine a situation where you separate the idea of a lot of money going into politics and it would have more public elections. But that's uh, that, that's kind of outside my scope that, of that, n- understanding that'll and knowledge. Ne- that'll never happen because the lobbyist will will make sure that that anti-lobby <laughs> doesn't <laughs> happen. It could be, it could be too late. A- absolutely. Great to have you both here. Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming in, Joel. Greatly my appreciate pleasure. it. Eric, you're done for the day. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> You've spent an hour on the air. Enjoyed you it very much as usual. Thank exactly. You. Great to have you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.